1: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: Guys, I've got a question for you. Um I just got my sandwiches out of the bag and they're making a funny noise. Do you want to have a listen? Do you think there's something wrong with them? Hello listeners, welcome to Park Day, thank you for joining me on today's episode, something a bit special for you. This is a chat that I recorded with someone who I really love, uh, a great and talented individual based in Birmingham. We talked because uh, I had the crazy idea to do a series About uh, Telly Zavallis looks at Birmingham, the short film that I'm obsessed with, the Harold Bain film. Which we still might do. um, If you're interested, let me know. But in the meantime, I thought I would put this chat out as part of Park Date because it's really interesting. And I love what this guy does. And we talked in the park as well, so it is relevant I promise you the person who I'm going to talk to in this episode is Andy Howlett Andy directed a great movie called Paradise Lost which looked at the story of Birmingham Central Library the brutalist behemoth that I um, am obsessed with that featured in my novel The Wall in the Head Um, and Andy's film Paradise Lost is uh, something that you should check out so we talked about that and we talked about Flannery uh, psycho geography, extreme noticing, and some other cool stuff. Skateboarding as well. Thank you, Andy, for joining me for this chat, and I hope you enjoy this um, slightly different episode. Uh, if you do, leave us a review. Best review wins a prize. You know that. that Follow us on socials at Park Day Podcast. Enjoy this episode. I'm here with Andy Howlett in Kings Heath Park on a nice sunny day. We've, we've been saying this is the first day that we could come and have a walk without winter winter coats. Um,
2: it's not quite cherry blossom season yet. Like, uh, <laughs> I love that. Like when Telly, <laughs> Telly visited. Very good reference. But it's getting there.
0: It's getting there, isn't it? Yeah, he's very taken by the cherry blossom, isn't he? Mm. In... Um, Where's that? Is it in Cannon Hill Park? I'm not sure. Or Bourneville. Bourneville, maybe. isn't it? Which we're quite, we're quite near to. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's a film a film that I've always I've always found interesting. Um, Andy, uh, you made a film about Paradise Circus, and we, we were just looking at the book, uh, the Paradise uh, book that's just come out, talking about that area. Um, I think it was. One of the things that's interesting about Taliesa looks at Birmingham is it captures that point in time um, in the, I think it's ni- 1981, 1980 when it was released uh, where the the kind of post-war city had been completed really, they'd built all the the ring roads which they talk about a lot and lots of the office buildings um, to create that kind of complete vision vision of Birmingham including of course The library and and Paradise Circus, and then fast forward, um, you know, thirty years, and that that city that was created is then being taken apart. And that's the story that you tell, really, isn't it? Of the 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 post-war utopian city then being kind of, um, you know, we've sort of lost faith in it, and Mm. people are looking at it in a different way
2: yeah it's I was struck by the the images in the the film just re-watching yeah. the clip that's on YouTube and how s- sort of sparkling and clean it all looked yeah. and uh like the, the shot of the uh five ways roundabout I just couldn't believe it I was there the other day and it's so kind of scrappy and yeah forlorn looking now but it, it looked just really smooth and yeah. shiny and, and so yeah I think that, that was in like the early 80s which yeah. was actually quite quite late in the in that period like you say it had all been completed but it was yeah. really the 60s when most of that redevelopment was happening but it it was still looking pretty fresh in the yeah. 80s as well there's a nice crash zoom, isn't there? When they're looking at five ways, as you mm. remember. Yeah, and the, the the islands over the Aston Expressway yeah. as well, and just how how trim and neat it all looks. Mm. Like the lawns, really, really, you know. Uh, but but those places, what remains of them today, are kind of a, a bit more overgrown, and which I quite like. That yeah, has its own charm to it, like they've grown into themselves Um, but yeah so that version of the city, that that post-war concrete uh, paradise or hellhole whichever (laughs) way you look at it, was a version of the city I never really knew myself, because I uh, grew up in Solihull, which is just far enough away from Birmingham to not really need to go in very often because yeah. you've got all all your, everything you need in in Solihull so the you know the odd time I did come in I, I didn't see very much, it was on school trips or picking my granny up from the coach station and I'd <laughs> have glimpses I'd see like the, the rotunda towering up yeah. and it, I remember the, the sense of awe seeing that and it, I had this idea of Birmingham was quite a, a frightening intimidating metropolis that you know over there that I wouldn't go too often um, and by the time I did start coming into the, the city centre when I was old enough to mm. go you know shopping with friends and uh, skateboarding even uh, the, the reconstruction was already underway so mm-hmm. I one of my first memories of coming into the city centre with friends was a a huge hole in the ground where the old Bullring used to be so I I don't remember what it was like as a shopping centre I just remember a hole in the ground and so yeah, I don't have a memory of that Mm. old uh, modernist city I only really know it from photos and films and so I think the one of the reasons I got so fascinated by Paradise Circus and the old library was it was like the, this final island of that yeah, that version last, of... the last bit that remains. Yeah, the last substantial bit yeah. of it. There are still little, you know, bits here and there, but that was the last big, mm. you know, significant piece. So it was just um, fascinating to walk around like what felt like an alien... Kind yeah. of civilization almost and, and just try and f- figure out what is this What because mm. it was such a strange place quite bewildering on all different levels and all the different walkways and uh, places that didn't go anywhere, lots of dead ends and yeah. stairways to nowhere and that sort of thing it, it was just fascinating to walk around and try and figure it out and like imagine when the whole city centre was like that, yeah, just this big confusing concrete place and all the different levels and um, yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's such a it's such a uh, kind of I don't know. Look, the, the Paradise Circus for me, I was also really. Um, intrigued to explore it and see the dead ends and to see all the levels and the the fences and the gates and you know you try and find your way in and you can't find your way out and i remember there was like this whole kind of dickensian underworld almost happening there like people living there and mm-hmm. foxes and um i think in the film you uh, there's a bit isn't there where you manage to like get from the uh, the undercroft back up into the to the library building which is something that I'd always uh, wondered if it, if it was possible possible to do that um, but yeah I think the way that um, the the way that the city's kind of presented on film is really interesting and with the Tele of Alice looks at Birmingham you have this one view of this almost you, you know utopian city and the Sun where the the Ring Road is a really great asset and, um, you know, everyone's loving the views and everyone's loving just hanging out in, in the parks, which is actually an in- interesting version of the city's story, I think, because um, we often kind of see this, like, dystopian past, don't we? Like, oh, we had to live in these tower blocks and go on the subways all the time. But actually, you see people just having their normal lives and, and uh, doing stuff. I think when I was writing my novel, the wall in the head, I was thinking about the two things of like the extreme weirdness that you would find in places like paradise circus, but also the normality, right? Of just people (laughs) doing normal things. You talk about skateboarders a lot, don't you? People just like skateboarders, just using those places as kind of hangout zones and stuff. Um, Yeah. Do you think um, that, uh, well, I mean, skateboarders kind of colonize the places that people, then stopped wanting to go to didn't they when people were mm. kind of scared to go to Paradise Circus the skateboarders were like well we'll we'll take that <laughs> we'll take that zone
2: yeah there is there are like competing narratives about what the, yeah. the city was like yeah. back then like was it this utopian mm. paradise or was it a hellish concrete jungle mm. um, I'm not sure that binaries like that are very Helpful, really. It's more nuanced, isn't it? Yeah, and speaking as someone who didn't actually experience that, yeah, that, that version of the city very much. It's not, you know, I can't say for sure firsthand, but you you can look at different sources and try and figure out, right, read read between the lines, and an interesting contrast, I think, to the Telly Savalas film is uh, there's one that I found doing the research for my film when I went to the the Media Archive in Lincoln. Uh, There was a a film made, it must have been about 10 years before, like in the early 70s, and with another television personality whose name escapes me. (laughs) I should have looked it up before coming out. But it was a, a comedian... Uh, a northern comedian who I think would have been very well known back then but isn't um, remembered so much now and so he comes and visits Birmingham and looks at a lot of the same places that Telly Savalas looks at in the the city, city centre and the ring road and the bull ring but he has the opposite opinion he's walking really? around like oh what a shithole this is, <laughs> this is horrendous and he's really scathing about the, yeah. the post-war planning um he sees it as being inhuman and that uh, the, the people have been subordinated to cars yeah. and are, are being channeled into horrible subways and um and are losing their freedom, they they can't choose where where to walk freely. They have they're forced into these tunnels and subways. And uh, his, his um, take on it is that it was the the, the sort yeah. of middle class elite planners and architects who lived in the leafy suburbs. They were mm. making the decisions about how the rest of the Brummies, the working population, yeah. were going to live the places that they were going to spend their time in, in the city centre. Yeah. And, and he, he says, oh, the, the people of Birmingham are, are an industrious yeah. people and are creative people. They should be able to build their own city or, you know, design their own city, which is, uh, yeah, a, a nice take. Yeah, I think
0: we'll have to dig that uh, dig that film out for sure, and I'll I'll give give that one a watch. Um, I think that points really really interesting, and one of the uh, things that I love about your film, Andy, is that you talk about John Maydin. He was the, the Birmingham architect who built a lot of these modernist uh, modernist buildings in Birmingham, um, uh, and I think his his story is very very interesting we were, we were just looking in the, in the paradise book you see a picture of him uh, with, with a model of the, of the civic centre of the city that he wanted to build uh, the library not everyone knows the library is only a smaller small portion of what, what he wanted to achieve to build this whole kind of brutalist kind of uh, uh, yeah, civic centre with lots of different elements and lots of walkways and, and things like that uh, and in fact you talk as well don't you about how um, it was it was only partially finished It was supposed to have these water gardens could have looked like the barbican could have been very 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 nice environment that everyone would have loved to go to and and uh, maybe it would have survived uh, longer if if they'd have, if they'd have um, finished the, those parts of the of the library complex but but yeah I love the way you tell John Maiden's story in your film um Catherine O'Flynn kind of talks about this fictional architect, which is based on him as well, and you know this idea that he was, it was obviously trying to create a future, but um, was it the right future? And how in touch was he with what people wanted? But his story, I think, is 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 part of part of that whole kind of new Birmingham, isn't it? Were, were you kind of drawn to 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 talking about John and like what he wanted to achieve and? Having that element to it to, to it in your film
2: yeah absolutely I, I was struck by the the contrasts actually between John Maiden and um, Herbert Manzoni yeah. who was the 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 city engineer for decades and was really responsible for the most of the uh, post-war rebuilding and so he had Final say. That's only
0: was kind of Maiden's boss, right?
2: Yeah, basically, and uh, and so th- they they were friends and they they worked together on a lot, but they they actually had very uh, different outlooks on planning and architecture and um, you know making a, a place. Uh, so. Manzoni—he was the one who really loved cars and uh, thought that just you know plough these huge urban motorways through the city—that's that's that's what we need, and the uh, cars are the future. And so pedestrians were kind of became a bit of an afterthought, and he really wasn't that interested in aesthetics or architecture uh, or or history even, mm-hmm. you know, having uh, visible links to the past. He, there was a famous quote where he, he said he, he sees little value in having any, any visible links to the past. Yeah. We, should, we should be looking forward. So quite and a... Motto, is yes, Forward? Yes, of course. Uh, so quite a, a, like a crude know. approach, <laughs> really. Whereas John Maiden... Re- really had a, a sensitivity to uh, what had come before, and that he he would design his buildings with the the surrounding landscape in mind. Um, so he, he wasn't just about having a, a clean slate. It was like, okay, what, yeah. what's already here the, the the trees, the buildings, and he would try and um, like make what he was building. Uh, sensitive to that so with the, the scale of his his buildings the materials he used um, and that that's true with the central library itself uh, it, like the original materials he wanted it to be clad in would be like Portland stone mm. or Travertine marble travertine. which which were uh, was chosen to complement the, the civic buildings that were already there in that place and he um the the scale of the building he didn't want it to be too high that it would dwarf the buildings around it so uh he, he really he had that sensitivity to his surroundings which is often overlooked I think it, it's there's this view that modernists just didn't didn't care about that they were just uh, had contempt for anything that came before which, there was some of that certainly Uh, so I just I found that that very interesting that these two very different uh, versions of modernism and sadly it was the the cruder version that won out that had the final say in the the reconstruction of Birmingham and I yeah the film toys with the idea of what if what if you know made in his that more sensitive approach to modernism had in fact had been the the main driving force what you know would it would it have worked out differently would we now be a, a city of concrete lovers would we be proud of our concrete towers yeah. and things like that yeah yeah I think that's a really
0: really interesting point and I like how you talk about how you talk about that idea in the film Andy and it's it's something that I've thought about as well I I wonder if I mean we're talking about the Paradise um Paradise book that just came out uh, last last week wasn't it mm. um you said uh it was you know sold out launch for that um there's been lots of interest in your film um I I was you know, writing about, uh, I feel like when I started writing a bit about uh, brutalism and modernism maybe a decade ago, it was sort of seen, seen as being a bit weird, but actually now it's kind of mainstream. Like, you know, you look at Instagram, everyone loves brutalist architecture and people pay a fortune to live in the Barbican. Um, yeah, you can't help but wonder if uh, maybe Birmingham is made a little bit of a a mistake by demolishing something which could have actually been uh, a landmark for the city a tourist attraction they could have changed it into uh, something else I remember uh, speaking to Alan Clawley who you talked to as well didn't you he was an amazing amazing guy who campaigned for the library and he showed me um ideas that some architecture students had proposed where they could turn it into a regional assembly or a, a music venue or a hotel or all these kind of different, different ways to, to do stuff um, obviously we now know in this uh, era when we think about climate change that demolishing all these buildings is supremely wasteful then just to build new, uh, new buildings in their place so I feel like in a few years that idea of demolishing everything will suddenly become quite uh, quite toxic maybe so yeah it's one of those great what if questions and if they'd have had the water gardens there um you know it would have looked a lot more kind of superficially attractive to people as well so that might have won it more more plaudits but i think it's interesting when you when you look at the tellies of Alice film like things do look very neat and they all work well it doesn't look like too too horrible you know they there is maybe this yeah this parallel timeline where we could have had the city looking like that but maybe made you know different changes to make it more um accessible to people maybe less steps so people could could kind of uh, get around uh, get around those spaces more more easily but i think also with the idea of them demolishing things of, of demolitions we need some kind of record don't we of what things look like and mm. and um what they what they did look like and with this film i love to the the total film i love to see what parts of the city looked like uh, that aren't there anymore and with your film as well it, it captures um you know el- elements of paradise circus and of the library which we can't see anymore now um I talked to this. I talked about this to you before, haven't I? This idea of like it being a document that maybe kids in the future could could look at and and say, "Wow, this is a part of the city that that we don't don't see anymore." But were you kind of consciously thinking about like making something like using film as as almost a, a historical tool, or was that something that just
2: kind of happened as you were making the the film? Yeah, I was conscious of that because Birmingham's a city that's just always reinventing itself yeah. and has this history of just um, being very cavalier about its history and yeah. not not really interested in preserving things um, and as we mentioned the motto forward yeah and and as such that yeah records of uh, past Versions of the city are quite scant, and um, but you know when you do find something, it's like this amazing, like treasure, like, bit of treasure, yeah. like this window into this past version of the city, and so I, I did become very uh, interested in in just tracking down any kind of historical piece of media or book or you know. Some, anything created in the city that is a, a document of a, a certain time. And so I, I was aware of my own film as being...
3: Uh... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
1: PlushCare Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365 day returns.
2: A document like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I do quite like that, that, um, You know, although it has its downsides, the city just constantly bulldozing the past. And it does feel like uh, you've uh, found something special when you do find these these traces and Mm. uh, clues and connections to to people who have come before you. Um, Not sure where I was going. (laughs) That. <laughs> no, I think that I think
0: that makes a lot of it makes a lot of sense. And we talked about, um, you know, when you were looking in the the media archives, um, when I when I was writing my book, The Wall in the Head, I was constantly watching any archive footage I could get my hands on, and also things like local news and local TV programs, where you get these different visions of the city and different versions of the city as well. Um, and it, it seems to me like film is a really good way to bring bring that to life, right? It's it's mm. um, it's part of the archive, and then it becomes part of the part of the com- conversation, really. Um, so even when these places don't exist, we can watch a film of how they how they used to how they used to look. Um, I was talking. Uh, also about take me high recently. <laughs> Are you familiar with that? I am. Where that yeah. shows another another kind of view of this utopian concrete city. Mm. In fact, one of Cliff's songs is called Concrete City. It's very celebratory of um, of that kind of uh, uh, New Birmingham, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, I guess there was a lot of a lot of films like that back in that back in that era. Um, were there any kind of other other of those that? In, you to think I want to want to make a film about Paradise Circus in particular or was it, was it maybe other you know we are talking about psychogeography weren't we is there any other films in that genre that you uh, were kind of inspired by when you were thinking about making yours
2: yeah de- definitely um, not so much Birmingham films but like the work of Patrick Keeler Mm. for instance where so London the first film first yeah. feature film which uh, is entirely made up of just static shots of very mundane scenes um, streets and parks and places around London and just with people walking about yeah. going about their their day and there are, there are no actors or anything it's all told through Narration and telling the, the story of a series of walks that the, the, the protagonist Rob, Robinson goes on. Um, and the, the, this mix of the, the sort of quotidian, like describing the sort of local council politics and what it's like to go into a supermarket, and then in the next breath talking about the the history of like these radical art movements or the romantic poets who would just reimagine Mm. spaces as uh, sort of utopian places full of possibility and um that that really uh struck me the the way that they're it, the film doesn't make a distinction between the, the mundane and the magical it's like the mundane is the magical it's all all one and so I, I definitely had an idea of like you know giving Birmingham that treatment mm. like Birmingham is, it deserves a, a sort of feature length kind of psychogeographical study and yeah. the, the Central Ivory project uh, became like the the perfect focal point for that i felt um, yeah. and also oh, another good Birmingham example is the the Jonathan Meads Jonathan I was just thinking that as well comes to Birmingham yeah um he was another one very much ahead of his time in terms of celebrating brutalism and modernism he was like in the nineties he was Singing the praises of yeah. like brutalist tower blocks and the the Birmingham Ring Road, which was so unheard of then. He he was very much in a niche, all yeah. of his all of his own, as far as I can tell. That's
0: my favourite Jonathan
2: Mead's film, Heart Bypass, when he mm. yeah, the one about Birmingham. It's also
0: very very funny, mm. um, which I think is a great great thing. Um, I, I love the way he. He uses humor. Um, he has that like Palestinian rock band playing in a, <laughs> on a roundabout in the, in the Ring Road, and then he's driving around the Ring Road with um, that Radio WMDJ. Uh, is it Les Ross? I think something like that. He's t- telling a joke about um, a Brummy lorry driver. Um, but yeah, again, the mixture of the mon- mundane and the magical, I think, mm. is, is a very, very powerful very powerful one I love those Patrick Keeler films so much too the, the follow ups as well Robinson in uh, Ruins and Robinson in Space are, are great aren't they mm. um, and they're they always following uh, and alluding to great writers which I guess you kind of do don't you in, in Paradise as well like thinking about like Paradise Lost and how yeah. that's kind of relevant as well um, but yeah I think I think those two, um, those things, those two things can uh, can mix well together. But it's important as well, isn't it, to show uh, a couple of cute <laughs> pugs coming up to us. Um, it's important to show um, uh, the da- daily life occurring, right? Like life isn't uh, all kind of uh, um, the Tom Cruise glamour of uh, Mission Impossible, which is. Uh, <laughs> shot in Birmingham quite recently i believe wasn't it the yeah. the latest one but um yeah also just people yeah going about their going about their business um
2: yeah i i tried to um, uh yeah show the everyday life of paradise circus and in fact spoke to people who uh used to call that place home like the skateboarders skateboarders and, the, and librarians yeah uh, and people who enjoyed the subways, the you know the the hated subways, and the I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, the women
0: you spoke to who really liked the subways, and then I didn't even realise there was a campaign to keep them open, wasn't there? And people were
2: doing a little kind of uh, yeah get
0: together type thing, and not the so much a
2: campaign, just a, a celebration a celebration by of, uh, wow. having a a little festival. Yeah, exactly, exactly, bringing yeah. to life this bit of Public space and yeah. showing, look, you, you can just use this space to do whatever you want. Exactly. Um, and what so- does
0: what, when, when we watch Telesivales looks at Birmingham, we see acres and acres of public space. We see mm. a lot of parks and subways. Whether they worked or not is is obviously another discussion. But there's a lot of public space, and within Paradise Circus and the Library, that was all public space. And One of the things you talk about now is that transition, isn't it, to to private space, how the city's really been privatised. So is it almost, you you know, this conversation about the city not working, is that maybe a Trojan horse in a way for people who've got a financially vested interest to say, well, actually, we want to rebuild the city in our vision,
2: while we're at it, we
0: can make quite a lot of money out of it.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, wouldn't want to use the Trojan horse. <laughs> Maybe not here. Maybe that's the wrong, but <laughs> the wrong, wrong choice other, of words other yeah. Associations. But, yeah, yeah um, exactly, exactly. But, but yeah, definitely. I mean, there absolutely were real problems with mm-hmm. how the the city had been rebuilt in the sixties and. Um, you know, real problems that needed to be addressed, yeah. but uh, th- that absolutely w- was used yeah. as a a smokescreen. Let's say, <laughs> <It's probably> by <laughs> to use the words, yeah, probably by um, by developers and yeah, people who saw an opportunity to for for land grab. Really, yeah. like, well, we can make this. This weird, ugly part of the city. Work if uh, you hand it over to us, we, yeah. and, uh, you know, will p- pay for all the upkeep of it and have a security guards and CCTV. Make sure it stays looking pristine. So it's the the Brinley Place model, yeah. um, but that that brings with it uh, its whole whole new set of issues and problems. The sense that as citizens we don't really um own our city anymore that we're constantly wondering like am i allowed to be here am yeah. i am i what am i allowed to do here mm. am i allowed to cycle am i allowed to skateboard can i have, start singing a song or am i going <laughs> can i get, fall asleep yeah. or will i be uh, approached by security and carted off and it's it's often not clear what parts of the city are privately owned and which parts are public yeah. there's no requirement to make to have it marked out have it spelt out, there might be small little indicators like a, a little sign saying this is not a public highway or sometimes bollards are used to mark the yeah. distinction between like like around the Bullring for instance the the uh the pri- the the Bullring owned space will be on one side of the bollards and then the the public street will be on the other side and it, it just means you're constantly living in in this state of uncertainty like you you don't really know what what your rights are mm. in in any given space and so naturally you tend to err on the side of caution and think oh I, I better not um you know draw any suspicion or i don't don't want any yeah. confrontations with the authorities and yeah that's that's not good. I don't want to be feeling like that all the time. I want to see the city as a place of possibility and um, where we can express ourselves and uh, have a, a a role in in shaping it in some way and bringing life to it. Do you think um,
0: if Harold Boehm and Telly Savalas were making the film today um, they'd obviously be looking at different things. Do you think there would be that sense of optimism that we had back then? Do you think um, how do you feel about the, the city today? Do you feel kind of optimistic about about the way it's going I guess you always have there's always pros and cons isn't there we see like that privatisation of space and quite honestly quite a lot of bad architecture (laughs) going up in the city but then Mm. you also see quite a lot of innovation and kind of you were talking weren't we about like the arts there's quite a lot of creative people here Um, so I guess that's the flip side isn't it you have have like that Mm. as kind of a positive do you feel like a sense of kind of optimism though
2: um, not really, to be honest, but <laughs> I don't think I would have done back then either. Really? I think yeah. that the Telesabalus film feels like marketing yeah. to me, which brings up the question of who commissioned it, why was it yeah. made. But it feels like a, a marketer's kind of image of this is what we want to yeah. sell to the world, but I don't... I'm sure I, I would have found it quite absurd if I'd been around at the time and seen that. And you, you could make ju- uh, a film just like that now, kind of celebrating the, you know, the, all the, the mundane things. Like, look at all the, the shiny buildings, and yeah. what a great place to be. Um, so I, I think it's all spin. Really, yeah, um, but there definitely are things, good things, things to celebrate in the city, it, it, um, like the the arts scene and the, the yeah. music scene, things like that. But it it often feels like that stuff um, d- happens in spite of the powers that be, like. Yeah. Like the council, and uh, rather than because of it, it doesn't feel like that is valued by the Mm. the people in in charge of running the city, and that people really have to fight to Mm. to make make good stuff happen. And uh, yeah, it feels like it's a a constant battle. And uh, like, for instance, the the heavy metal. Stuff like the, yeah. the, Birmingham's the birthplace of heavy metal, which is a, a global phenomenon, a huge, you know, industry worldwide. And the the, the city seems to have no interest in uh, marking that or celebrating that. Like, you know, where's the heavy metal museum? Yeah. Now there is the the home of metal. People have. Uh, Done great work, um, celebrating this this heritage with exhibitions yeah. and bringing the members of Black Sabbath to the yeah. to the city. To, um, uh, but again, yeah, that's very that was kind of a, a grassroots yeah. thing by a, a, just a, a small group of people, and it, it really seems like the the council haven't yeah. been supportive of that and. Haven't recognised the value yeah. of that by creating some sort of permanent exhibition. Or... It it would be great, it, wouldn't it? I remember talking to
0: Lisa Mayer and the capsule people quite a lot when I when I lived here, and I always loved all the all the stuff they did. And I think the home of metal stuff that they've done has been really, uh, really uh, phenomenal. Um, but one of the conversations around that, as you mentioned, was the possibility of having a permanent museum of heavy metal and in fact one of the venues touted for that was uh, the library at one that's, stage
2: so it would have been perfect
0: it would have been perfect yeah. exactly that's what probably should have happened um, rather than rather than knocking it down um and just to finish andy i, I guess i just wanted to ask you as well um it, firstly if you're going to make another film about birmingham and secondly uh, so many talks in the park um secondly um, if your views of the city changed when you were making the film, or if you kind of learned learn anything, or it kind of changed your mind about um, about
2: Birmingham when you made your film, it's mm. um, a good question. Uh, in terms of making more films about Birmingham, I think I I will. I think there's more here to, that I'd like to dig into. Yeah. And, uh, so heavy metal being one of those things, that's one part of the yeah. city's history that I'm very interested in and you know, big fan of the yeah. the genre. So I'd like to do something with that. Uh, there, there's also the Birmingham surrealists. So Conroy Maddox, uh, Desmond Morris, who went on to find fame as a, a TV presenter presenting like animal and nature programmes, but he had this uh, double life as a a surrealist artist um, that's a whole kind of like hidden history uh, that I'd like to dig into mm. um, and I, I've always uh, liked the idea of making a time travel film um, just yeah I just, just find the whole concept fascinating like all the the paradoxes and the yeah. potentials for alternate timelines splitting off and I, I think a city would be a, a great kind of subject for that like what if you could travel back to different eras of the city or what if you could go to uh, parallel versions of the city where things uh, uh, worked out differently so I explore that a bit in Paradise Lost where I find the yeah uh, what would portal. happen if
0: it was exactly yeah
2: what if uh, yeah, all yeah. the the utopian ideals of John Maidens original paradise vision had been realized what what might that look like um so I, yeah that's something i'd like to explore more yeah. more fully so yeah maybe uh, a Birmingham time travel film that's on the horizon I think you should make that I'll be, <laughs> I'll be first in line to buy a ticket excellent okay um, yeah I, I don't know about the other question if I've my thoughts on the city yeah. have changed um, I don't know. I think my uh, my brain's reached its limit now <laughs> I can't really
0: we'll stop for now <laughs> We'll have a little walk around the park. Andy, thank you so much for talking to me. I really oh, appreciate thank it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Park Date. Um, there's lots more where that came from and there'll be more in the future as well. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review. Um, good or bad, make them funny. I'll be reading out the best ones and there'll be a prize for the one that makes me laugh the most. Name check some trees in your reviews and leave them wherever you get your podcasts from. Check out our website, parkdate.co.uk and um, if you see me walking around in a park, come and say hello. I think that was the sound of someone sneezing. Um, Yes. Thank you. Bye-bye. On the next episode of Park Date, join me and Dame Maggie Smith as we take a nude walk on a park date through the Englischer Garten in Munich. It will be a park date that no one around us will ever forget.